Warm and militant greetings. I'm your host Kota, and welcome to the first episode of Against Japanism podcast, destabilizing Japanese history from the left. This short episode will introduce the goals of this podcast and its underlying principles. First, I want to tell you a little about myself. I am a Japanese citizen currently living in Canada. I was born and raised in Tokyo, Japan. And moved to Canada in 2003 to study English, and I have been living here since for almost 17 years now. But everyone in my family, other than myself, still living in Japan, so I visit there quite regularly to hang out with my family and friends. I am also a former anarchist who then became a Marxist and revolutionary communist, committed to building more just and sustainable world. In terms of my formal education, after I completed my ESL, I obtained two degrees from Canadian universities. One is BA in Globalization Studies, and the other is MA in Anthropology. However, I am not a historian or a professional academic trained on the subject of Japanese history. I do, however, believe that a study of history, politics, Or theory should be for everyone, whether you are enrolled in a university or not. As a Marxist, I also believe that knowledge gained within or without academia should be put in service of society at large, especially working class and oppressed peoples who are fighting for their liberation. This is why I'm starting this podcast. To provide a space for anyone interested in learning about Japanese history through the lens of class struggle, from anti capitalist, anti imperialist, anti colonial, and intersectional perspectives, by inviting scholars who know more about Japan than I do, as well as researchers, journalists, writers, content producers, and activists who are knowledgeable about Japan and working towards similar goals as I am. Now, you may be asking, okay, Kota, what are your goals then? Why Japanism? What is it anyway? And why are you against it? Well, I decided to call this podcast Against Japanism not because I hate Japan or I hate being Japanese, even though sometimes I do feel like I want to bang my head against a wall every time I hear or read the news from there. I decided to call it that because of this troubling notion promoted by the mainstream media and the popular discourse both in the West and in Japan that there is something exceptionally unique or weird about Japan that other countries don't have. According to this view, unlike other Western countries supposedly plagued by political correctness and social justice warriors, So they say. Japan is a harmonious and homogenous society devoid of any class, racial, gender, or ideological differences. This myth was recently taken up by American white supremacists like Richard Spencer and Jared Taylor, who claim that Japan is a mono ethnic, monocultural, ethno nationalist utopia. Of course, this myth is partially a product of the ideology of Orientalism 
that Western imperialism has historically used to exoticize Asia in general, and Japan in particular, often to legitimize its own geopolitical ambitions in Asia, while breeding anti-Asian racism in the West. This is also done in an explicitly gendered and sexualized way, with the common tropes about the samurai for Japanese men and the geisha for Japanese women. But it wasn't only the far right and white supremacists in the West that took this myth seriously. As you will learn from the first episode of this podcast about the ghost of Tsushima, featuring Kazuma Hashimoto and Andrew Kia, the Japanese state labbed this myth as well. So they came up with a PR campaign called Cool Japan and exported to the rest of the world not only cultural commodities like manga, anime, and music, but the image of Japan as traditional, harmonious, and homogenous. So in a way, the Japanese state intentionally internalized this orientalist image of Japan to promote nationalism among Japanese people, and of course to profit from it while telling the world this is how Japan should be represented. As a result, this idealized image of Japan became a sort of common sense beyond the fringe of far-right politics. Underlying this idealized image of Japan is the equally idealized notion of history as continuous and unchanging, characterized by its stasis and equilibrium. One example of this is the fundamentalist state Shintoist view of Japanese history, promoted by the far-right organizations like Nippon Kaigi, Japan Conference. According to this view, Japan was founded by the first emperor, Jinmu, who was allegedly a descendant of the sun goddess Amaterasu Omikami, and is supposedly the ancestor of the Japanese emperor today, in 660 BC. Even though most historians today agree that Japan as a nation-state and the very concept of Japanese as a people did not actually come to exist until the Meiji Restoration of 1868. At least, this was a time of significant transformation that disrupted the social, cultural, and political norms of the feudalism of the previous Tokugawa era. However, as you will learn from the second episode of this podcast featuring Dr. Robert Stoltz, to better understand the history of Japanism as an ideology founded on the metaphysics of continuity, we must go back to the fascism of the interwar period. Tosaka Jun, a Marxist intellectual from Kyoto, writing in the 1930s in the aftermath of the Great Depression, defined Japanism as follows. Japanism is the Japanese form of fascism that, quote, reintroduced feudal ideology, thought, affects, and behavior into the political realm of the present day to suture the split between the middle class and the bourgeoisie. In other words, Japanism as the ideology of Japanese nationalism created a sense of shared identity among the classes of people, such as working class, middle class, and capitalist class, that in their material circumstances had nothing in common with each other, and were often in conflict with each other in the form of antagonistic class struggle. However, 
For these antagonists, Japanism evoked the feeling that they all share the same culture, and the declassed notion of Japanese identity that had supposedly existed since time immemorial. In other words, by weaponizing this ahistorical sense of Japaneseness, the Japanese state was able to diffuse the class struggle and neutralize the threat of revolution from below. In critiquing Japanism as a nationalist ideology that glossed over the class differences among Japanese people in the interwar period, we must remember that Tosaka developed this critique of Japanism based on his understanding of capitalism in the mainland Japan. While he was doing this, the Japanese Empire imposed this ideology on the colonies, and many of the colonized peoples in Korea, Taiwan, and South Pacific Islands, not to mention the Ainu and Okinawan people, were forced to speak Japanese language. For them, Japanism was a far more violent ideology than how the Japanese workers and revolutionaries experienced it. For them, the supposed timelessness of Japanese identity itself was a profound change imposed from without. In other words, as much as Japanism was an ideology of Japanese nationalism, it was also an ideology of Japanese imperialism. While the Japanese Empire was defeated in the World War II, and Japan today is supposedly a democratic country, the legacy of Japanism is alive and well today. After the war ended, Japanism of the pre-war era was rebranded as Nihon Jindon, a genre of texts about the supposed uniqueness of Japanese national and cultural identity. However, just like the Japanism of the previous era, this theory of Japanese identity is far from ideologically neutral. And just like their predecessors in the pre-war period did, Japanists, both in Japan and abroad, want to ignore that Japan was once, and to an extent still is, a violent colonizer that systematically oppressed the people of Asia. While the primary aggressor of Asia today is undoubtedly the United States, Japan was the biggest perpetrator of anti-Asian violence, and violence against Asian women through the so-called Comfort Women program. We must remember though, that the people who were colonized by Japan, such as the Chinese people, the Korean people, the Filipino people, especially the workers and peasants of these countries, they did not just sit back and accept the violence that they faced. No, they got organized and fought back, often with arms in hand, to drive out their colonizers. And they were successful, even though the United States and its allies took all the credit for defeating Japan. These Japanists also want to ignore that Japan itself has a long history of class struggles and struggles for basic human rights waged by workers, students, peasants, women, LGBTQ plus people, and outcast Burakumin, as well as revolutionary movements inspired by anarchism, socialism, and communism that fought for a more just society and for a better world. If you want to learn more about the history of radical politics in Japan, be sure to tune in to the third episode of this podcast featuring Dr. Gavin Walker. Today, this tradition of resistance is inherited by migrants 
refugees, and their allies who are fighting back against migrant detention and super exploitation of migrant workers, as well as the exclusionary immigration policy of the Japanese state. In Japan, it is very difficult for non Japanese citizens to become naturalized, and Japan only accepts 0.4% of refugees who apply for refugee status in Japan, which is in clear violation of the UN Convention on the Status of Refugees it signed in 1981. As it stands, Japan only accepts migrant workers with short term work permit under the rubric of technical trainee program. Which is simply an excuse to import cheap and expendable labor power from the global south that can be easily policed, detained, and deported when necessary. I should also point out that their countries of origin are often Southeast Asian countries, such as the Philippines, Vietnam, and Indonesia, that were formerly colonized by Japan, indicating the close connection between the experience of migrant workers in Japan today. And Japan's legacy as an imperialist power, and its current neo colonial policy in the global south, as a junior partner of the US imperialism, as well as the Japanese myth of Japan as ethnically homogenous. It is truly ironic that this sense of Japaneseness and the supposed uniqueness of Japanese identity is entirely dependent on Japan's continued subservience to the US imperialism. And its maintenance of economic and geopolitical hegemony in the Asia Pacific region. We must not forget also that it is the plunder and systematic underdevelopment of countries in the global south by the imperialist countries of the global north,、uh, Japan is one of them, that are necessitating the continued presence of the US military in Asia and driving the current arms race between the US and newly emerging imperialist powers. Such as China and Russia. It is within this global context that the people of Okinawa are resisting the construction of the US military bases, and Japanese anti war activists are campaigning to stop Japan's arms trade with Israel and the US backed regime of Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines. It is through the analysis of capitalist imperialism as a world system. And through a study of the histories of these struggles and movements that resisted it, that I want to combat Japanism in this podcast. The ideology of Japanism, as represented in the commonly held assumptions about Japanese identity and Japaneseness, not only precludes the identities of these oppressed communities in Japan. The Japanese state in the pre war period. Weaponized this ideology to suppress leftist movements, which often involved mass arrest, torture, and even forced conversion of leftists into Japanism and fascism, in a process called Tenko. Based on the claim that leftist ideologies like Marxism and communism are foreign ideologies, Gaidai Shiso. Even today, feminist and anti racist movements. Inspired by Me Too and Black Lives Matter, are often portrayed as un Japanese or even anti Japanese, as if women's oppression and racism are foreign to Japan. Of course, if you are familiar with social issues in Japan today, you will know that this is far from the truth. 
as exemplified by the recent sexist comment by former Prime Minister Mori Yoshio and the backlash against the Nike commercial about the discrimination against Chinese Koreans and the mixed race Japanese people. However, I want to emphasize that the goal of this podcast is not to challenge Japanism by trying to reclaim the notion of Japaneseness from Japanese in favor of more liberal and multicultural Japan, or expanding the category of Japaneseness to include more diverse groups of people. I want to go farther than that and challenge the very notion of Japaneseness itself as founded on the capitalist exploitation, imperialist plunder, and colonial violence that constitute Japan as a nation state today. This podcast seeks to prove that this common representation of Japan as harmonious and homogeneous, and its association of revolutionary politics and progressive social movements with foreignness, is nothing but a smokescreen created by the Japanese state, and by extension, the ruling class of Japan, to cover up the numerous conflicts and contradictions that have afflicted Japanese society. Just like any other capitalist societies, such as the US, Canada, and Germany. After all, Japan is no exception to what Karl Marx and Frederick Engels famously wrote in the Communist Manifesto Quote, The history of all hitherto existing society is the history of class struggles. Unquote. However, we will not study this history as the history of the bygone era. Or the history of the golden age of the Japanese left. We refuse to treat history as a thing of the past, a trivia, a set of interesting facts, or cool stories that arouse our curiosity but have no relevance for the present. We reject this museum mentality to a study of history and instead treat it as a history in motion, a living history of the present. To critique the ongoing legacies of Japanese capitalism, imperialism, and neocolonialism that are very much with us today. This is why I decided to subtitle this podcast Destabilizing Japanese History from the Left. Through this podcast, I want to destabilize the equilibrium of Japanese history and of Japanese identity, characterized by continuity, timelessness, And homogeneity. In its place, I want to put forward a dialectical materialist understanding of history as a dynamic process characterized by conflict and change. It is through this dialectical materialist method of historical analysis that this podcast seeks to study Japan, not through the metaphysical idealist notion of analysis that for too long has been used by those in power. To legitimize oppression and exploitation, and to amplify the voices of those considered non Japanese, un Japanese, or anti Japanese by the dominant ideology of the Japanese ruling class. It is through this method that this podcast seeks to abolish Japaneseness and reconstitute the revolutionary subject that is other than Japan or Japanese, the subject of new humanity. The subject of anti capitalism, anti imperialism, anti colonialism, and intersectionality. The subject 
of New Japan without Japaneseness. The International Proletariat. So that sums up the goals of this podcast and the principles behind it. Like I said earlier, I try to study Marxist theory and Japanese history on my own as much as I can, but I don't consider myself an expert on anything. I am not a historian or an academic trained in Japanese history either, so I won't be able to narrate this podcast entirely on my own. For this reason, This podcast will be mainly based on interviews and conversation with scholars, researchers, journalists, writers, content producers, and activists who are working towards similar goals as I am. Even though I am certain about the goals of this podcast, I am open to experimenting with different formats and collaborating with other podcasters and content producers who might not necessarily share my views 100%. While I identify as Marxist and revolutionary communist, I am open to engaging with other schools of thought, especially anarchism, as I was once an anarchist myself, as long as they are not fascist or pro imperialist. I also recognize that political education doesn't happen overnight, it is a process. It took me a long time too, and I'm still learning even today. It is my sincere hope. That this podcast is not alienating to those of you who are new to radical politics. I will try to make the materials as accessible as I can in the show notes and in my social media posts. But if you have any questions about the show or particular episodes, feel free to reach out to me and we can discuss it. Your feedback and criticism are always welcome. I will be making the social media accounts as soon as this episode goes live. But for now, you can contact me at againstjapanism at gmail.com. Last but not least, you probably noticed that I am recording this episode in English. And for now, this show will be delivered only in English, but if all goes well, I might record some episodes in Japanese and eventually make it into a bilingual project. Alright. That is it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the inaugural episode of Against Japanism. As I mentioned earlier, at this point, I have three interviews recorded. I haven't decided whether I put them out all at once or one by one, but either way, they will be uploaded here very soon. So please stay tuned and spread the word about this show far and wide. I am very new to podcasting, so your help and support. Will be very much appreciated. Thank you again for listening. Keep fighting the good fight, comrades. Long live international solidarity. <laughs>